where we're going to read the verses 1 through 20. And then we'll turn to our text, which is from Romans 12, now verse 11. 1 John chapter 13 in our Pew Bibles, page 1069. Hear the word of God. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what, am I, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that's why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I've given you an example, that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I've chosen, but the Scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread and has has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. As for the reading of God's holy word from John, we'll read a verse from Romans 12, maybe two. We'll anticipate, Lord willing, next month's Lord's Supper, which is from verse 12. But it is verse 11 that is our text. Uh, It is worth noting that this comes in this context of love being genuine, loving one another with brotherly affection, or outdoing one another in showing honor, that sort of thing. And now we get three pieces of wisdom or three uh, encouragements from the Apostle Paul in verse 11. They're all connected. Uh, Verse 12 has has a similar pattern. It's three thoughts that they're all connected. And there's a certain build to them. They they begin and grow and and, uh, finish in the end. So verse 11, which is our text this morning, is, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Lord willing, next month it will be rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. May the Lord add his blessing to this word. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, our Lord, you will recall undoubtedly 
seeing, as I did, various news reports, YouTube clips, that sort of thing, of some of the lengths that teachers went to over the past number of years during the various lockdowns of COVID when they had to teach either by Zoom or Microsoft Teams or some other uh, media like that. To do that, of course, as you can just understand and as you can appreciate and certainly as our teachers can remind us and encourage us to know, to do that is very hard to, to, to and capture the attention, especially of younger uh, students via a, a webcam is no easy thing to do. And so some parents would uh, record or, or, or would show the world the lengths to which their teachers or the teachers of their children would go, the excitement, the energy, the activity that they would bring just to try to keep their students engaged and active. Such lengths were undoubtedly for those teachers mentally and physically exhausting and not something that could, of course, be done forever. But it said something, didn't it, about that particular teacher? It said something about their passion for the work that they were doing. That's not a criticism of other teachers. That's not a criticism intended toward those that maybe didn't do that sort of thing. It's just for a moment to stop and say, can you see just how zealous, how spirited, how excited that teacher was in order to communicate what it is that they had to learn to their students? And we want to look at that. We want to take that image into our hearts and mind this morning as we anticipate experiencing and enjoying the Lord's Supper because there ought to be something of that in all of us as Christians, as those who have been redeemed by our Lord. When people see us, when people interact with us, do they see our passion for the Lord? Do they see our desire to serve the Lord? Do they recognize that we are a group of people that are excited about being Christians. And we're not talking here about always being happy or always having a positive attitude. To be sure, some aspects of the Christian life are more difficult than others, and some seasons of the Christian life demand sobriety and seriousness. It is not always easy to walk the pathway of life. But there is a way in which we can demonstrate to the world that we have a passion for Jesus Christ. There's, of course, a number of ways we can do that in worship. We can do that in our own devotional life. We can do that in the way that we witness to the world about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But one of the ways that the Scripture places upon us, calling us to show that we truly love Jesus Christ is in the way that we serve each other. That's what our text challenges us to do, a text that speaks to us about not being slothful in zeal, but being fervent in spirit and therefore and thereby serving the Lord. What does it mean to be these things? What does it mean to not be slothful in zeal? Not lazy in zeal. Zeal is maybe not a word that we tend to use all that often. It's a good biblical word. It's one that appears a number of times in well-known passages. You'll remember how in Psalm 69, the psalmist says, for zeal for your house has consumed me, and how those words then become uh, fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was zealous 
for God. Or think about how even just before in Romans 10, in the verses 1 through 2, the Apostle Paul speaks of his zeal. He says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for Israel, for the Jews to be saved. For I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Or think about how in Galatians 1 verse 14, when we were in Galatians, Paul himself describes himself to be a a student of Judaism beyond many of his own age, extremely zealous for the traditions of his father or his father's. And what we discover from this smattering of examples and this usage of the word zeal in the New Testament and in the Scriptures generally is that to have zeal is to have a passion for advancing a cause or offering a service to another. Principally and first of all to God, obviously. Even as our text will remind us, we are to do all of this as service to the Lord. But that service is to have a passion for others, for another, for God, yes, but also for those with whom we live. Keeping in mind that in Romans chapter 12, we are in that section of Paul's gospel, or Paul's letter rather, where he's challenging us to live out the Christian life, and particularly lately, to live it out in service to each other. To let our love be genuine, love for each other, loving with brotherly affection, outdoing one another in service or in showing honor to God. Contributing later on, he'll say, to the needs of the saints and seeking to show hospitality. So this entire section is a section about serving others, serving fellow believers, serving the church, serving also those around us in this world. And Paul says here, in that service, in that passionate commitment to blessing others, do not be slothful. The word slothful here, the word lazy, is actually a word that is also used in Matthew 25, verse 26, when it describes that one uh, servant of the king who had the talent. Remember, the first guy got five, the second guy got three, the last guy got one. That one talent, remember what he did with it? He buried it in the ground. And then when the king came back, he took it out and gave it back to the king. You remember the story? He says, I knew that you were a a, a stingy man. I knew that you were a a man that that sowed where he didn't reap and this sort of thing, or reaped where he didn't sow. Uh, And and so here's your, your talent back. And of course, then the king says to him, he says, you were wicked. You knew that that was true of me. You should have put it in the bank. Then at least I would have got interest. And he calls that servant slothful. He calls that servant lazy. So laziness is to reject the Lord. The laziness there is to refuse to serve the king. And and if we take that into this text, then Paul's saying to us, in our zeal, in our passionate service of others, we must not reject the Lord. We must not be lazy or slothful. We must be zealous. Spiritual slothfulness is something that we struggle with, all of us, and principally because it's a consequence of spiritual selfishness. Spiritual selfishness asks the question, what's in it for me, rather than what can I do for you? Why should I benefit you, we are taught to ask, in our greedy world, in our slothful world, 
Why should I serve you? I would rather do my own thing. Our culture promotes this, and we must resist it. And we must resist it precisely because we desire to serve as our Lord teaches us to serve. That's why he goes on to say, Paul does, that we are to be fervent in spirit. More literally, uh, each of these sayings starts with the description uh, that we are not to be and then the thing where we are to be it. So, or rather the other way around. It says, so for the first one, it says, uh, in zeal, not slothful. Those are just, it's four words in the original Greek. And then in the same thing here, in spirit, fervent. In spirit, fervent. And that word fervent has the idea of being excited. And it has the idea of bubbling over. It's a word, it's one of those onomatopoeia words, a word that describes the idea, the, 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 the concept it's, it's, it's offering in the sound of the word itself. It's a bubbling up word. Now there is some question in the text as to which spirit the Apostle Paul's referring. Is he referring to the Spirit of God, uh, the Holy Spirit who's poured out on Pentecost and who works in us by His grace? Or is he speaking about our spirit, the spirit that dwells in us, that gives us our passion, our zeal, our service to others? I think the answer in the end could probably be both in that our spirits only ever bubble over with joy if we are first indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Yet the emphasis here is on our spirits, it seems to me. Acts 8, verse 18, rather, verse 25, is a good example of this, where we meet a man who is fervent, passionate in spirit. And what Paul here says is that's what we all need to be. We all need to be passionate, bubbling over, excited in spirit. He begins by speaking in the negative, in your zeal, in your service to others. Don't be lazy. And now the positive, in your spirit, be fervent. That's not easy to do. It's not easy to always be excited about serving the Lord. There are those moments, right? There are those events. Maybe we go to a worship service, a a particular moment in our own devotional life, our own walk with the Lord, that suddenly we experience the power and the wonder of God in our hearts are filled with overflowing and praise and songs flow from our mouths in thanksgiving to the God who has so blessed us. There are times when we see almost as though the heavens part, the glory of God in our hearts are on fire for God. But the ordinary, routine, regular activity of life can sometimes dampen that passion and zeal. It's not always easy to be excited about serving the Lord and about serving our fellow men. Particularly because the burdens of life and the physical demands of life weigh heavy upon our hearts both in terms of our own being tired, our own having struggles, personal struggles with selfishness and with, with pride, but also because the people we're called to serve are not always the most lovely people. There's a book written for pastors describing the challenges of the pastoral ministry. In that book is entitled, They Smell Like Sheep. The point being that the congregation is not always this glorious group of wonderful people. Sometimes it's difficult. 
And that's true for all of us. That's true of us for us as parents. That's true for us as friends. That's true for us as congregation. If we expect everyone to always live up to their promise and their, their, their ability, we are going to easily be disappointed and discouraged. We are all limping in some way. We are all broken in some way. And we all burden each other. We all burden each other in so many ways. And so to be spiritually excited, to be desirous of blessing others when we ourselves feel as though we haven't the energy or strength to always carry on is no easy thing. We need our spirits to be stirred. We need our passion to be encouraged and fanned into a flame. We need inspiration if we are going to live this Christian life. I hope you see that. I hope you understand here that the call of Paul is not to go out and be better, do better. You can do it. You're good enough, strong enough, and able enough. Come on, folks. Let's do good. Oh, He says to us that in our zeal we are not to be slothful, and in our spirit we are to be fervent. But he understands that accomplishing those things, serving one another, loving one another, acts of kindness, simple things, cards, letters, emails, visits, gifts, food that we make in order to build others up, stopping by and saying, can I do your laundry? Can I help you out in your yard? Whatever it is in those little and in grand ways of praying with a brother or a sister, opening Scripture and encouraging with the promises of God in so many ways, all of these service acts to bless one another require of us more than we can give. We need to be inspired Not so that we can always be on a spiritual high. Not so that we can live with our heads in the clouds. But so that we can serve as Christ served us. Being that example of Jesus Christ to our world. Even as Christ was the example to us. That's why we read from John 13. For what Paul here commands of us is expressed for us so very clearly in that event when Jesus washed the feet of His disciples. There are a few events in the ministry of our Lord that stand out like this one. Certainly the cross of Calvary being the crowning achievement where Jesus offers Himself fully and completely for you. He dies that we might be saved. But here we see that very humble, very lowly act of the Creator God. The sovereign who had made these men in his own image, who was sustaining their existence, he puts a towel around his waist and he bows down to wash their filthy feet. In a me-first culture, such an act stands out as so very profoundly wonderful. And we are called to live in this way by Jesus Himself and now by the Apostle Paul. And to do it, to do it in service to Christ. You see, the end is the key, isn't it? Oh yes, we are to be in zeal, not slothful, and in spirit, fervent. The only way we can do that, and Paul understands this, is if we do it in service to the Lord. A reminder from Paul 
in his use of the word Lord, his use of the word master, his use of the word, you might say, owner, that we are purchased by Jesus. Indeed, that we only serve the Lord because we have been first freed by him in order to live in righteousness. That phrase, serve the Lord, can sometimes sound in our ears as though we're being told to obey, to do, to... But it's first of all a reminder that you have been saved. Like Israel who was taken out of Egypt and brought into the promised land, you've been brought out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of His light. You have been saved. You've been bought. You have been freed. Sin is no longer your master. Selfishness is no longer your ruler. Pride is no longer your miserable burden. No, you have been saved in totality. Taken out of the cruelty of slavery to sin into the service of your King. Slavery is not something we're too familiar with, but we do know that slavery was hard. And that being a slave meant being subject to your master's will 24 hours a day. There's no punching in and punching out when you're a slave. And so many of those slave masters were cruel. Even as sin as a master is so very cruel. Ruining relationships, isolating us from each other, harming our lives and those lives around us, condemning us, Increasing our guilt and shame, destroying our lives. Think of so many ways in which sin works in our lives, in the addictions, in pride, in greed. Pick, your, pick your, one of the seven deadly sins and you'll quickly understand how cruel sin is. And now to think, with those three little words, serve the Lord, Paul says, remember. You've been purchased. You are not your own, but you belong body and soul to your faithful Savior. And the Lord we serve is not like our previous Master. He's gentle and lowly, tender and compassionate, patient and good. He leads us into green pastures. He restores our souls. He inspires us by His Spirit and grace. He pours out through His Word. He gives in His sacrament all that He asks of us to do. He strengthens and equips us. He who died on the cross for us, not only paying our debt, not only earning for us an inheritance, but demonstrating the depths of His zeal and the fervency of His Spirit. Crushing sin and saving sinners. This Jesus restores. Restores by the outpouring of His Holy Spirit so that we might live in the newness of life. Now that doesn't mean that all we need to do is eat a bit of bread and drink a bit of wine and suddenly everything is good. Oh no, we must put to death the old nature when pride and selfishness, when the why should I question rises in our hearts and minds, when we think who are they that I should bless them? Wait a minute, nobody helped me out. Why should I help you out? 
when we remember the way that people have hurt us in the past, the way that people have done things to us that are mean and cruel, and we think to ourselves, well, that's the last time I'm nice to you. And we need to put that to death. And we need to say, no, that's not who I am, sin. You forget. You've been defeated. You are no longer master over me. I serve Jesus Christ who washed the feet of His disciples. And it is in that light that we need to bring to life what Christ has given to us, that we need to keep in step with the Spirit, that we need to say, I have been changed, and I know what I'm supposed to be like. I'm supposed to be zealous. I'm supposed to be fervent in spirit. And I desire to show those things. I will bring those things to life and commend those things so that when someone needs something, I'm there to help. It's a challenge for us. It's easy for us to trust that other people are going to bless. There's a saying, that either 10% or 20%, depending on which you read, of your community, of your church, does 100% of the work. And that's often true. There's a truth there that we all recognize. But at the same time, let each one of us Look around for a moment in our own sphere of influence, in our own friend group, in our own family situation, in our own work situation. Surely there's someone there that we can bless, that we can benefit, that we can say, how can I help? And in doing that, in quiet ways, in simple ways, not with fanfare and drawing attention to ourselves, but with passion and with joy, doing it with a bubbling spirit because we're so happy for what Jesus has done for us, we will show the world the greatness of our King. For He is our pathway to walk and He is the more excellent way. He is the one who shows our world real blessing and community. Now all of us, will acknowledge, I trust, that we need to improve in this. That's the place to start. And having acknowledged that, let's come and let's receive the bread and the wine now so that we may be equipped to do this. That we may be equipped so that in our zeal we will not be slothful. In our spirit we'll be excited about serving. And we will do it because we want to serve the Lord who has purchased us by His blood. Let's ask the Lord for strength in that in prayer. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. It's a challenging Word. It's not an easy Word in a selfish culture, in a me-first environment. But help us, Lord, to, to recognize that this is the more excellent way. We all need help. We've all needed help. We needed Your Son, Jesus Christ, to come down from heaven and die on the cross and lift us from the pit of sin. We were so helpless and hopeless. So we all know we need help. And we all know that we need to help others. So help us do that, Lord. Help us to take from the bread and the wine the strength to serve. And may this week and this life that You've given us give us opportunity to be a blessing to others, to help them out, to encourage them. So that in zeal we are not slothful, in spirit we are fervent in our service to You, our Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.